Kia ora, I'm Tim McCready and this is Too Much Talk, a podcast from Onihanga FM. Way back in 1893, Elizabeth Yates became mayor of Onihanga and the first female mayor in the British Empire. She famously said, There is in both borough councils and in parliament too a great deal too much talk. In season two of Too Much Talk, we'll be speaking to those candidates vying to be the MP for Monga Keke, as well as some local friends and commentators. This election is set to be one of the closest ever, and who you choose to represent us locally can have a big impact on what happens to our part of Aotearoa New Zealand. So listen in and make your vote count. In this episode, I'm joined by Greg Fleming, who is running for the upcoming election as the National Party's candidate for Monga Keke. Greg has 25 years' experience in the charitable sector as an executive, a director, and a consultant. He currently serves on the board of several charitable organizations, and as you'll hear in this episode, he has a surprising opinion on Turkish delights. Well, uh, kia ora, Greg. Welcome along to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Kia ora, Tim. Great to be here. Awesome. Um, as uh, is often the first question in these kinds of things, I just thought um, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. This is, I believe, your first time uh, running uh, to be the local MP for Mongakeke. So could you tell us a little bit about who you are and um, and your background? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on a small farm in the Wairarapa, uh, just on the outskirts of Masterton, and uh, trained as a chartered accountant at Victoria University. Uh, before working um, both um, in a charitable sector and in accounting for about three years. Um, during that time, married Kirsten, and then we headed to London. And when I came back from London after a couple of years, that was my intention was to stay in the business world. So I've been working in finance and marketing abroad. And uh, But then I responded uh, to a request uh, from a, a couple called Ian and Mary Grant, who had just started an organisation that's now known as Parenting Place. And mm. uh, they they wanted someone to come and help them for a bit on the business side. And so I said I'd give them one year. And uh, 25 years later, I have not left the community sector. Uh, so basically what happened during that 12 months was I got to experience what it's like to spend your days uh, helping uh, people uh, make, yeah, connecting people up with resources and different options that can actually lead them to um, to, to thrive and flourish uh, in every way, which is what the community sector is all about. And I think once I tasted that, I was, I was yeah, ruined for life. Uh, and so um, I've gone on to start with friends about sort of 10 or 12 different charities uh, across a range of, of sectors. And uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago, I decided uh, that if I was ever going to uh, look to serve the community and government, I should probably get on with it. Uh, I have a, I've mm. hit my 50s now. And uh, and also the kids are of an age where it probably makes sense to to, uh, to put my hand up. And uh, because I've lived in Monga Kiakia for 25 years, so we've, we moved to this community when we moved up to Auckland to take that, that original job at Parenting Place. And I've been here ever since. This has been the community that our kids have all gone through and the like. And uh, and so, yeah, it just so happened that the um, that the opportunity came up to be the candidate for the National Party in this area. So the stars aligned and here I am. So I've been a candidate for four and a half months now and uh, five weeks to go. And to be honest, I, can't, I, can't, I can't wait for election day. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet for yeah. many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will ask you a little bit more about um, your involvement in the National Party um, in, a, yeah. in a little bit. But I just to, just to continue the conversation about your um, your career, I thought it was quite interesting looking at your background that you, you've done, you've had quite a varied career. You've imported flower bulbs from South Africa. You've um, yeah. leased computers, <laughs> golf ball distribution, I think. I'm guessing yeah. these are kind of in your early days. Um, yeah. 
Um, but I was interested, obviously, in your in the in the charity space. Um, I, I saw you're also founding chair and trustee of Te Whakaora Tangata. Uh, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that because that's that that organisation is set up to uh, address intergenerational poverty. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how that came about? So I after three and a half years at Parenting Place, I've had two stints there. So the first one was when I kind of moved up to Auckland, say 25 years ago, and took on the role as general manager. Then I went back about 14 years later as the CEO and that was the last executive role that I had um, before moving into the sector of uh, the season of life that I'm now in. Um, So after about three and a half years at Parenting Place I'd got really interested in uh, the role that ideas played. So uh, had, I was a yeah I was a business um, student. I had a casual interest in history, uh, but I'd never really formally studied um, politics, philosophy. Uh, and as mm-hmm. I started to to read on those things, I yeah discovered well that you know that the that the the, the things um, that we believe about. Uh, about um, society and about human beings um, uh, ultimately affect not only how we lives how we live our lives individually and the things that we prioritize but obviously collectively um, that's what shapes government so that was really where my interest in public policy began and so that ultimately led me to get together with a group of friends and start a think tank uh, called Maxim Institute and mm. uh, and it was about five years into that journey where I was looking to hire an accounting an accountant one time and um, one of the applicants was one of the more fascinating people I've met a lady uh, called Indrane Reddy and uh, and as we often joke um, I didn't I didn't hire Indrane because she was the strongest accounting candidate although she was she was definitely a strong candidate but because of what she brought with her and it was this um, little organization that well it wasn't even an organization actually it was just a work that she and her husband were doing helping people in their community in uh, in Clendon in Manurewa and uh, and it, it aligned so well with a lot of the work that we've been doing in Maxim Institute at that time around the drivers of poverty and the drivers of uh, of, of, of challenges for family and inter- intergenerational uh, challenges. Mm. And so I thought, well, hey, here's a here's an awesome opportunity for us as a think tank to maybe get behind a grassroots work. And that, and that's what happened. So we were able to over the next eighteen to twenty four months work with Cliffing and Andrane um, to leverage the both the donor uh, and the wider network that we'd established at Maxim Institute at that time to help um, take their, as I say, their little um, organic um, home-based work and grow, uh, grow it into a, a fully-fledged trust, which is, uh, yeah, now it's a, it's a, it's a multi-million dollar multi-site organisation. In fact, they just had their mm. big annual uh, dinner last Friday night and packed out the, the main um, hall there at Eden Park. Um, so it's been, been amazing oh. to watch that work grow, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I do want to ask you about the Maxim Institute because um, there has been a bit of controversy raised in the uh, media about this. And I think this goes back, um, probably worth pointing out that it was about 20 years ago uh, when you yeah. um, compared same-sex civil unions to incest and polygamy. Um, and I think it took uh, Nationals leader Christopher Luxon by surprise when he was asked about it in the media. Yeah. Um, I think since that came out, you've you've since said that you wouldn't make um, those comments again. But I, I do want to ask uh, for your uh, position on, on that yeah. now. Yeah. So what I was saying at the time um, when I issued that press release was that uh, the the debate that New Zealand was beginning to have at that stage, which was around what did we think around um, people's uh, abilities to be able to um, uh, to be able to yeah. Well, at that stage, the discussion wasn't around um, redefining marriage. It was you know, mm. the civil unions was essentially civil the precursor unions. to that. Um, the point that I was trying to make was that uh, there was no logical reason for us to exclude people 
who were in either close relationships or in multi-person relationships. And so I was uh, in that in that particular press release, I was just looking to be provocative to say, hey, are we actually having the full debate here that we say we're having? Uh, or, or should we actually broaden it? Uh, and yeah, and so and, and as I said, when that press release came out, was was, was picked up in April. Uh, it, in, certainly in today's context, it, it was what I was trying to do there um, didn't end up resonating. It was misunderstood, and uh, yeah, to that extent, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't helpful. Yeah. So no, I mean, I'm very happy with where the laws are in New Zealand at this stage. And if anything, um, yeah, I think it's I, we're, we're certainly it's it's a it's a debate that's been had, and I think everyone's comfortable as we were at. In, in New Zealand in terms of the freedom that people have to be able to um, yeah, define and choose their own relationships. Uh, and I certainly don't expect that to be uh, a debate or an issue of any kind going forward. No, and yeah, as you say, probably not going to become an issue going forward. But if you were in Parliament at the time of the marriage equality uh, vote, how do you think you would have um, voted on that one? I would have actually um, gone a step further and would have actually argued for government to get out of marriage. Um, so marriage obviously existed for um, millennia uh, before modern government did. Uh, mm. And uh, in hindsight, I think it was probably a mistake for government to ever get involved in, in, in marriage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, so uh, the National Party, um, you've been uh, you've been a candidate, uh, you know, for the first time in this election. But what what was it that uh, really attracted you to um, sort of land with the with the National Party for this election? Yeah, so the National Party first and foremost is the it is the uh, party of limited government. Um, so it's about um, uh, individual freedom, responsibility, strong communities, strong businesses, strong families. Uh, and that fits very well with my framework, and it's a framework that I really developed during those years uh, at Maxim Institute. Uh, mm. So I have a, I wouldn't describe myself as a libertarian, I'd describe myself in terms of political philosophy as a, as a classic liberal. Um, so that is, I, I do believe that government has a really important role to play. Uh, I just believe that it's a much smaller role um, than what it has grown to be in New Zealand in, in, in recent years. Um, so I'm a huge advocate for, I'm not surprising given how I've spent my last 25 years, for uh, for the third sector and call them, some people would call them the institutions of civil society. So that's, you know, families, communities, local schools, obviously, um, you know, uh, small businesses. Uh, so to, to, to me, the role of government is is, is, is best, uh, um, best executed when it is empowering those smaller groups um, to get on and do their things uh, at, at the front mm. line, uh, and so that is the, as I say, that's the that's the over overarching and undergirding framework of the National Party, and it's not the um, it's not the uh, <laughs> it's not the framework of, uh, of of many other political parties in New Zealand. So, yeah, National is certainly uh, my, my my natural home. Obviously, you're running in uh, Monga Keke, so uh, could you just tell us a little bit about what it is that connects you to Monga Keke and why you're running in this particular seat? Yeah, so we've lived here for 25 years. So as I mentioned before, when we moved here in early 1998, uh, we bought a house uh, in Athens Road uh, in Ornihanga and lived there for about 10 years. And then about 15 years ago, uh, built a house in Green Lane in Fetarangi Road, just opposite Cornwall Park Primary School, where we are still living today. Uh, so our five kids have been born and raised and gone to schools in this area. And uh, so this is, yeah, this is very much home, always has been. Uh, and well, it's interesting, eh? Like I, it took me a long time to call this place home. I think having grown up in Masterton, um, yeah, it was. Quite different, that was, different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For years, I found myself talking about home, even though I hadn't, you know, lived in Masterton for maybe 15 years. I'd still, the word home to me meant Masterton. 
Uh, but mm. I'd say in the last sort of seven to ten years, when I, when I talk about home, I definitely mean um, this area, particularly around One Tree Hill. That is my um, ipukaria. It's my it's my place where I uh, feel uh, most alive, um, and that feeds my my heart, and my soul, and my imagination. So I'm up there nearly every day, either either running or walking. Uh, and um, I, uh, yeah. This is, yeah, as I say, this is this this really is pretty much the only part of uh, of Auckland that I that I would um, want to represent. Because for me, if you're gonna if you're going to serve in Parliament, um, your first your job first and foremost is to serve your local community. Mm. Um, so yeah, the opportunity to actually serve the place that has been our community for well the whole of our family's life, and as in terms of uh, our family, including our five children, and we now have a daughter-in-law as well. Um, this is this is the one area that I want to want to represent. Yeah, great. I um, I'm I'm running. I I run around uh, One Tree Hill quite often as well. So I'm surprised I haven't bumped into you. I'll keep an eye out for you. Um, yeah, <laughs> you've you probably, probably you've probably run past me too quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I must, I must. For the last four months, I've only, I've only run in my, in my blue gear, so it's my, yeah, my yeah, uniform yeah. now. Quite easy, yeah. to, quite easy to spot there. Yeah. Um, I've noticed you've done quite a lot of um, local meetings. I've noticed your signs up around, uh, around the area. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you've learnt from them and what kind of feedback you're hearing uh, from uh, the people in Mongakiki? Yeah, so the number one issue that just comes up again, 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 it's not surprising, is the cost of living. Um, people just across the spectrum are really, really struggling. Uh, and the, I guess, I was expecting that when, when I, when I, when I, when I went out there. What I wasn't expecting was um, the, the, the number two issue being as big as it is, which is people's deep concern around around crime. Uh, and it's been so one of the first uh, things that I did when I was selected as a candidate in late March, so began campaigning early April was started to meet uh, business owners. And I remember one of the first meetings that I had was with the uh, the, the head of the Pack and Save there in Royal Lake. And he was explaining mm. to me, and I said to him, you know, what's the biggest issue that's facing you? And he said, straight out, he said, shoplifting. I said, how bad is it? He said, well, five years ago, uh, we used to have um, sort of one shoplifting incident a week. Uh, we're now having five a day. And wow. uh, and 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 then and then as I met all of the other supermarket owner operators, uh, they all had exactly the same story, and then that carried out to jewelers um, and and local dairies, obviously, and just so on and on and on. So the level of crime across businesses was that high. Then I bumped into. I remember coming out of. Um, I was just actually heading into the Royal Oak Mall to go and um, see the owner of Bronson's Jewelers up on the second floor mm-hmm. after they had mm-hmm. been hit yet again. This is back a couple of months, and as a couple of months ago, and as I was walking in, I bumped into one of the the mums um, from Cornwall Park. Her, her youngest son had been in my oh, my cricket team, so I coached for years at Cornwall Park yep. Cricket Club because our boys all went through there. And uh, and she just sort of looked a bit shaken. I said, "What's up?" And she she had just come back from a counselling session because a few weeks later, a few weeks earlier, so she lives on Campbell Road on the park side, mm-hmm. and uh, she'd come in about three o'clock one afternoon from her backyard to find three guys um, hooded guys there. Uh, they forced her onto the ground. Thankfully, they didn't do her any harm, but they ransacked the house, stole her car, drove across to Pakaranga repeated the exercise there with an, with a retired elderly folk. And when they were finally caught, uh, both all three of them were wearing ankle bracelets. And uh, and unfortunately, that is not even close to being the only story like that that I've encountered these last four and a half to five months. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in our, in our little piece of paradise here in Mangakirkia, 
uh, crime is at levels that I just never, I had no idea really um, that that it was that it was that way. So yeah, cost of living and crime just dominate. They they would make up ninety five percent of the conversations that I would that I'd have with people. Yeah, mm, amazing. Yeah, and. In these in these podcasts, we're we're trying to get to know the the local candidates, but I think it's also um, worth touching on a couple of sort of policies um, that the party um, is is planning to implement. So, it, if you take crime as an example, what could you point to a couple of things that um, that National would look to do um, if in government uh, to address that particular issue? Yeah, so one of the big issues, and I found this one an interesting one for myself, because w- one of the many things I've been involved in in the community sector uh, is around uh, you know, um, a focus on rehabilitation and the role. Of, I mean, I'm a huge believer uh, in the fact that um, that people people that people can change. Um, that is, I think that's part of my core worldview, uh, part of my core anthropology. And so for that reason, I was part of the founding board of a thing called Rethinking Crime and Punishment, started by a guy called Sir, Sir Kim Workman. Uh, who's now living back in in, in the Wairarapa, where he whakapapas too, and um, because that has been such a key part of my of my whole work, including the the organisation that we mentioned before, Fakoratanata, I uh, I guess my natural orientation was towards always looking at what are the most restorative practices that we can have. So when I first heard the idea of things like boot camps. I my my natural posture was like, oh really? Is that what we want to mm. do? Can we not focus instead on 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 the on the family context that people are coming coming from? Mm. Uh, then I started meeting with the local constable here in in Onehanga, um, so Don Allen, um, Don, yeah. been a community, co- yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he, much to my surprise, I guess I was just sort of thinking, well, you know, he's a, he's he's a he's the he's the he's the local cop, absolutely connected him with the community. He's probably gonna gonna have a softer stance on these things. He just straight out in our first coffee said, "Man, we need an alternative pathway for these repeat young offenders." And it was about the same time that National had come out with its proposed policy in that area. And he was 100% supportive of it. And he went on to explain to me how just that week he had um, picked up yet again um, three young Ram Raiders, all in their mid-teens. And when he picked them up, he already knew their names uh, (laughs) and because he had encountered them before, uh, actually quite recently, and to the point that he actually knew where they lived. So he drove them home. And he knew that as he sat down at their kitchen table and tried to engage with their parents, uh, that absolutely nothing was going to change. Um, mm. Because the reality of it is that it was the context in which they were living that was actually fostering in them the destructive approach that they were taking to life in the community. And he so wanted to be able to put them into a different environment that would actually give them a different formational exercise and a chance to actually break that 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 that, that just destructive arc that their lives, even at that young age, were set on. Yeah. And so I've actually become a real fan of these of these things, these these military youth academies, um, and that is that's a that's a core plank of what New Zealand's of what National is going to do. Um, should we become the next government, we are going to provide um, these this alternative pathway um, for repeat young offenders. Um, and another thing that we're going to do is to ensure that uh, that the people who should be serving their time in prison are serving their time in prison. So if you go back to the story I mentioned before. Um, you know, it's it's a, from in terms of my friend living on Campbell Road. Every part of that story is tragic, um, but probably arguably the most tragic part of it is it was completely preventable um, because all three of them were on on ankle bracelets. That is, they shouldn't have been out in the community with a chance to reoffend in the first place. Uh, now, obviously, that immediately begs the question: Well, at some stage they're going to come out uh, anyway. 
But then that then for me puts the focus back on what are we actually doing with people when they're actually serving their time. But if they're serving their time, that is our opportunity to work with them. That's simply not happening when they're sitting there at home on, on, on home, depend, home detention. Uh, and this is, again, the feedback that I'm getting from Don and from other um, from the many people I've encountered who are in the police force is that there just isn't the fear of consequences. So for the last six years, the only it's the only KPI that we've actually had within the criminal justice system has been the reduction of prison numbers. So there was a target set nearly six years ago that wanted to reduce prison numbers by 30%. And I've great sympathy for that. You know, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real failure on so many fronts when someone actually ends up in prison. But the problem is that we have uh, achieved that target almost. I think prison numbers are down by 27, 28%, but then crime is up by over 80% uh, on average across, across multiple measures. Um, so the reality of it is that we actually have to, uh, as sad as it is, we have to ensure that people are serving the time. And so Nationals announced a, a range of policies that are going to ensure that happens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great. Oh, thanks for the uh, comprehensive answer there. Nice shout out to Don too, who is, uh, of course, also the, on the local board. Um, so he's yep. been on this podcast uh, before talking about some of those issues that you've mentioned. Oh, good man. The interesting thing about Mongakiki as a seat is it's a bit of a bellwether seat. So it sort of traditionally has swung back and forth between uh, National and Labour. Um, and um, you know, there is this year there is also a candidate running from the Green Party and also. Uh, one from ACT. So I wondered, wanted to give you the chance, what do you think uh, you would offer um, uh, that would set you apart from the other candidates that are running? So obviously, um, what, one of the things is the party that I am part of is um, is very likely going to be the, the party that's actually leading government. Um, so I will, I will actually have um, pretty good leverage uh, in terms of central government. Um, but another one is the fact that I, I know this um, community um, so well, combined with the work that I have done for the last 25 years, I think I'm really well positioned to be able to actually um, dig into the the, um, the issues, not only the national issues that are manifesting themselves in this electorate like they do across nearly all the country, but the issues that are specific to this community as well. And in fact, that's been um, my modus operandi really in everything that I've done um, during my career, which is I, I love identifying where there is a challenge or an opportunity. And then, um, and then using my network um, to bring together the, the resources and the people needed to address that issue or to leverage that opportunity. And so the kind of thing that I've been doing, as I say, at the coalface, the community sector is something that I would love the opportunity to be able to do as um, you know, wearing, the, wearing the jacket of a member of parliament, which obviously does come with, um, with extra influence and, 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 and opportunity and, and the resources to back up um, those initiatives. Yeah, sure. Um, you've it's it's interesting to talk to you given you've you've spent so long in Mongakiki, and as you say, you've seen a lot of change over that time. Um, uh, you know, uh, across all parts of of the uh, electorate. So I wonder, could you tell us what what would be your vision for Mongakiki into the future that you'd like to see? I would love to see um, us be a community where 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 crime is low. We're never going to eradicate crime completely, but where people are actually um, feeling safe within their homes and where we can walk into our local dairies uh, and not have to have the kind of conversation that I had with um, with Atit, who is the owner of the uh, Superette on the corner of Athens Road and Mount Smart Road. So that was our local dairy for 10 years when we were living in Athens Road. I met mm. him on the Friday before the Ram Raid happened. Oh, sorry, he wasn't a Ram Raid, just the, the, um, a group of uh, young people came in um, with weapons uh, into his store on Monday afternoon. Mm. And when I went to see him the next day, we remembered how when I had the conversation with him the previous Friday, I had said to him, have you been attacked yet? 
And so part of my vision for Monga Care Care is where you can actually have a conversation with local business owners without having to use the word yet. Um, mm. So I would, I would, I would love for us to yeah get crime down to the level where both our homes and our businesses are genuinely safe. I'd love for as a community for our every one of our local schools to be providing um, world class education. Uh, not by, by, by not even close. Uh, every student uh, is every student in our electorate um, um, receiving that kind of education, and there's a host of reasons for that. Obviously, fifty um, percent of how a child performs at school um, is is is, uh, is is has nothing to do with what happens in the school. It's what they bring from the home, um, uh, and um, so for that reason, yep, working with again um, community organisations to strengthen what's happening in people's home environment, but also working with um, local schools um, so that they are empowered and resourced, and teachers and principals are empowered and resourced. And to be able to be able to provide that education, uh, and I'd also love a community where our transportation uh, networks rock. Um, so both in terms of our public transport, um, mm-hmm. so there's so much that we can do in terms of rail and and, and buses, uh, but also in terms of our roads um, to get them unclogged and um, get the potholes fixed. So um, yeah, I, th- I honestly I think I think I think Manga Kia Kia uh, could be and and should be. Um, yeah, one of the one of the one of the greatest places in the country to live uh, and grow and raise a family, and that's certainly what I've experienced, and it sounds like you have during your lifetime as well. And uh, and at the moment, yeah, we've got it on, on a number of those fronts we're struggling, um, but I, I genuinely think that if we apply ourselves to them, give ourselves five or six years, we can turn that around. Mm. Yeah, good. Great. Love it. Love the vision. <laughs> uh, so uh, before we finish up, uh, I do have a, a quick fire round. Um, yeah, which. Uh, Hopefully you can give slightly shorter answers, but I might, I'll give you a little bit of leeway there. Um, But to kick off, uh, I wonder if you could tell us about a uh, political figure from another party in New Zealand that you look up to. I was a big fan of David Lange uh, of the 1980s. I loved his uh, his open-mindedness. I loved the way that even though he you know he came from um, one particular um, political framework, he also went on to become the, uh, the initiator of Tomorrow's Schools. Uh, and I also loved his sense of humor, his wit, and his and his and his quickness. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, nice. Um, all right. If you um, if a friend of yours came to you and said, "Recommend me your favorite TV series," which one would you suggest? Oh, currently it would have to be Foundation, uh, which is streaming on Apple. Uh, so oh, I've long been. I've heard of it. Oh yeah, I've long been a sci-fi fan. So Isaac um, um, Asimov was the the uh, the Russian science fiction writer in the late 1940s through 1950s. He's really in many ways like the grandfather of modern science fiction. So for example, he was the um, the inspiration for a lot of George Lucas's ideas. Uh, and in his, um, well, he wrote. He's a prolific writer, but in his um, in his, um, his, his the series that he's most famous for is called Foundation. And it's basically the 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 telling of the rise and fall of a of a galactic empire. So it sort of mirrors really the rise and fall of say the Roman Empire. But he tells it on a galactic wide scale over a thousand years, and he sets it twelve thousand years in the future. And um, so it sat there as this remarkable series in print for 70 years. But it was only when someone like Apple came along with the $600 wow. million dollar budget yeah. and decided to actually put it to screen. And they've done, a, I, in my opinion, they've done a magnificent job um, uh, to it. I'm, I'm, yeah, as a fan of the books, I, I love where they're going. So I'm midway through the second series. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'll check, I'll check that out. Um, okay, for this next question, I want to I want you to imagine that you're in um, in the supermarket. So let's just say the Royal Oak Pack and Save. Hopefully this is a couple of years into the future where maybe they're down to sort of sub one, uh, one uh, shoplifting incident a week. Um, you're yep. standing there in the supermarket. 
you're in the uh, chocolate confectionery aisle. You feel like something sweet, uh, just as a bit of a treat. What would you um, What would you be putting in your, in your trolley? Oh, Turkish delight. Turkish delight. That's a controversial chocolate place. covered Turkish delight. Yeah, and no, I love it. Eh? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think yeah. I just I've always loved Turkish delight. I mean, I sometimes wonder where I I I, I love the texture of it. I mean, I love the flavour as well, um, yep. but yeah, maybe, maybe it's that chewy, chewy texture. Maybe it's also a throwback to the fact that my my favourite box series of all time is Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, and <laughs> um, with you know, with the, the role that Turkish Delight plays in there. So maybe something in my subconscious is is oh, pointing me that way. Never in a million years would I have thought someone would pick uh, Turkish Delight, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone must be buying it. Um, all right, what is the most unexpected or interesting skill or hobby uh, that you've got outside of politics? unexpected skill that's a classic question um so I, in terms of from a sporting point of view i enjoy golf i enjoy cricket um i play i play piano i only ever play for myself now um but yeah i, I studied piano for about 10 years as a child and the last time that i played publicly was uh in my uh in my seventh form production at Waterford <laughs> college i was the i was the pianist um playing honky tonk piano um for the western that we did Wow. And that was your final time publicly. You might have to change that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, and um, for someone listening, let's say someone that's quite early on in their career and, and wants to follow in your footsteps and likes the look of your career, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? That again is a great question. One piece of advice. I'd say um, take at least a year to go and work in an in industry or serve in, in, in something um, that is going to expose you to um, a very different community of people. Um, so, so for me, probably the most remarkable journey that I I've been on during my working career was has actually been my engagement with um, with Tao Māori, and that came about about seven years ago when I found myself back at Parenting Place. Mm. Uh, and within a couple of months into that role, I persuaded a good friend of mine, Tawaka McLeod, to move back from Taranaki to come and work um, work, work alongside me. And um, what we set about doing was trying to create in that in that organisation a, a a place that was genuinely hospitable um, to both Te Reo Māori um, and Tikanga. And in doing that, we ended up creating a space where, within no time at all, about twenty percent of our staff were. Māori and, and that's how I carried on with my with my journey with um with the real takitaki o te whenua nei. Um, and I've I've often reflected on how much that that exposure has shifted my view of and understanding of the context in which we live. And I guess I would say taking that as an example, uh, and in fact other examples that I've had like that during during the twenty five years in the community sector. Mm. My yeah, my challenge would be to people is you. The, the best way of challenging your own worldview, which includes your perception of other people and therefore how you can actually make a difference in your community, is to place yourself into uncomfortable contexts. Yep. Yeah. So maybe in summary, I'd say place yeah. yourself in uncomfortable contexts. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Great advice. Uh, second to last question. Uh, you've talked a lot about Mongakiki. I think your favorite place in Mongakiki is probably Kumu Park, One Tree one Hill. Tree Hill. Um, yep. But but specifically, this is Onihanga FM. If you had to pick one thing that's your favorite thing about Onihanga, uh, what would you pick? Oh, and I can't pick One Tree Hill? Oh, I'm going <laughs> to say no, just because you've already talked about it, just to make it that little bit harder right. for you. One thing. Oh, I, I'm a huge fan of Onihanga Cafe. Um, they're on the corner of uh, Street and Onihanga. Yep, yeah, yep. huge fan of curry leaf, 
um, the, the Indian restaurant <laughs> further down, Onihangam Mall, Bramble yep. further up, um, Union Post, Mr. Tanaka's. Okay, I'm outing myself here. I, I Yeah, I love the restaurants and cafes around this place, um, but yeah. it would be really hard to, to narrow it down to just one of them. Okay, so maybe one thing could be just food. We'll just say... We'll, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, the, rest, the restaurants and cafes in Mungakirk here. Yeah. Perfect, great. Okay, and final question. Just wanted to give you one last chance um, to explain why should the people listening to this podcast uh, vote for you in the upcoming election? Because uh, I will uh, be 100% focused on serving the needs of the people who make up this fantastic election among the Kirkia. I know this community. I'm getting to know it better uh, every day as I as I meet as I meet people out there, and uh, and and yeah, my my knowledge of this community, the heart that I have for it, combined with the skills that I have um, acquired over the last 25 years, means I'm yeah I'm confident I could I could serve this community really really well. Great. Brilliant. Well, Greg, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been great to hear what drives you and what your your vision for uh, the future of Mongakeke could be if you are indeed the next MP for our area. We really appreciate you taking the time and wish you all the very best for the campaign ahead. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks for listening to another episode of Too Much Talk. We are making these podcasts to help people be as informed as they can be ahead of the election. The success of this podcast relies on people like you helping us reach a wider audience. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please spread the word about us with your friends and neighbours or give us a review in your favourite podcast app. I'll be speaking with all of Mangakeke's local candidates in the lead up to this year's election. So stay tuned for more conversations. Connect with me on social media if you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts. I'm Tim underscore McCready on Twitter, Instagram, threads. And finally, a massive thanks to my producer, Josh Couch, the creative genius behind Onihanga FM and the person who made this podcast a reality. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to make your vote count on October 14th.